joined today on the podcast by Danny Denham. He's a footballer in Scotland. He's also a teacher. He also runs his own podcast and blog as well, Lower League Ramblings. Danny, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's good to have something to do uh, <laughs> during these uh, these mundane, boring times. I want to start by talking about the current situation. You've obviously got, got two sort of irons in the fire, if you will, in the sense that you're a footballer and a teacher. How is it from the footballing standpoint first? It's difficult, isn't it? I don't think you expect you're going to miss until, until it's gone. It's only been, what, two weeks, two games we've missed and and, and we're already bored, but it's 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 one of them that you've got to try and keep on top of fitness because you just don't know when you'll be back. It looks like it'll be a, a while from now, but trying to keep that fitness is, is the, the most important thing. So we've had um, lots of sort of workouts sent to us by our, our club captain and Christopher Higgins at our team, who's fitness mad. So it's just staying on top of the fitness and then dealing with the, the, the concerns in terms of financially, but everybody's, everybody's in that position um, across across the country, really. In terms of the teaching point of view, I'm a teacher as well, as as you know, and it's a strange situation at the moment. I'm kind of trying to teach through Microsoft Teams from home, which is, is very strange. It's not a situation I thought I would be in. How are you finding that situation? Uh, yeah, difficult. Difficult one. I mean, we've got uh, Microsoft Teams set up, but a lot of the the staff haven't previously been using it, so I'm finding it difficult. Um, I find that I'm finding okay. I've got a bit more awareness of it, but again, it's it's this teething problem. A lot of the kids haven't um, got up to speed with it yet, and um, there's there's just a few a few problems in that, in that regard but I think in the coming weeks I think after the supposed supposed Easter holidays I think that um, we'll have a more streamlined approach and um, hopefully hopefully get the best at the resource Something I've always wanted to ask you is the fact that you're a teacher and you play football how do the kids that you teach react to that because I always think myself that would have been so cool to have a teacher that actually is a footballer yeah, well, and I think the young, really young ones, I'm a primary school teacher, I don't think they get it, but I think that up the school, it's definitely, it's definitely helped me build relationships with some, uh, some children who would have previously been disengaged. Um, it's the fact that I'm doing PE as well with them, I think they, they, they see that as, oh, he's a professional footballer and he's, he's doing PE, he, he knows what he's talking about. I think you get that extra extra bit of respect from, from them, not from, not from everybody. Some people just don't care about football, but a lot of the a lot of the boys, particularly the the ones that can be challenging, seem to seem to engage more with someone who's who's a footballer. So I, I use it I use it to my advantage. That's, sounds good. In terms of your career at the moment this season, you're you're playing at East Fife under Darren Young. I had Darren on the the podcast recently, and he was he was very interesting. He's he's very positive about how things are going at East Fife. He recently won manager. Of, of the month as well. How's the season been so far from your perspective? Uh, as a team, I think we've, we've, had a, we've had a decent season. It's just that there's been a, a top five and a bottom five, really, and the top five has been picking up points all the time, and there's a big gap. So we are sort of we were on the fringes of the playoffs as as the as the season ended up being called off or postponed, per se. Um, but individually, 
it was a difficult start for myself. Uh, injuries have started to started to come in recently, so came at a bad time this pandemic, really. But uh, I think I think we're going in the right direction. I think Darren Young um, is very clued in, very switched on, tactically really good, with great ideas, um, bit of a student of the game, really. So um, it's, it's different to what I've been used to, but there's no denying to my cracking job. One of the players you play alongside, I want to ask you about Scott Agnew. I think he's had a, another one who's had a really good season. What's it like to play alongside someone like him who's in who's in really good form? Scott Agnew's been, uh, he's been terrific. He's a player that I've always admired. A player against, he's a good player. You don't give him a shot, don't give him a chance to shoot from twenty-five yards. But I don't play this until you train him with him. Things he can do with a ball training ridiculous. Scored double figures of goals for someone who's not the most mobile. It's, it's incredible. He's, uh, I think, he's one of them that if he was just a wee bit more mobile, he would, he would never be playing at this level. He played playing full time his whole career. It's just, I think, that's his one weakness. Is he maybe doesn't cover ground as much as these top players can, but, if, but he's technically as good as as good as I've ever seen and as good as I've ever trained with. In terms of yourself, you mentioned that the the pandemic didn't come at a a good time in the sense that you were getting into the team and you were playing more and more. What are your aims going forward when football ever returns? That's the way it feels. What did you want my aims? What so yeah, so just basically what are your aims going forward? You were you were in a situation where you were getting into the team more and more, playing more games just before this pandemic sadly happened. Yeah. So when football comes back, what are your aims going forward? Lions were just, I was just hoping to stay obviously in the team and I always set myself a target of 10 goals at the start of the season and that was going to be unlikely but just to get as many many goals and as many contributions as I can um, I'm approaching approaching 30 so um, I realise that I'm probably at the side of my career where with time running out so it's just play as many games as I can and enjoying it as much as I can because I know how lucky I've been to. I've been I've been doing this for ten years or ten years plus professionally. I'd like you to, to rewind to the start in terms of your youth in football. You were at Hearts for a brief period, and I imagine your passion for the game was there from a young age. What was your youth like playing football? Who were your heroes growing up, and when was the first time you thought you had a chance of becoming a professional footballer? Uh, it was probably late when I thought I was. I was going to be. I thought I had a chance to be a professional footballer. I think when I first started playing, it was just just for fun, and it was it was a bit of a pipe dream more than anything. I used to be a, a big Hearts fan, and I I used to go to the home games in the in Albania with my dad, and it was John Robertson was 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 the hero when I was first burst onto the scene when when I first um, started going to games, and then Neil McCann uh, was one someone I really liked as well, and then as I kept going, I think. Woody Scatchell was a hero of mine when I was when I was younger. He, he came in when I was about fourteen years old, and he was just someone that I looked up to. Left foot, wide man, um, just terrific player. But I don't think personally that I ever thought that I'd be professional. Even when I was at Arts, I got released when I was thirteen or fourteen, and I think the writing was on the wall. I think, to be perfectly honest, the players I was that I was playing with at that moment in time they were better than me. They were more physical. They were stronger. They were quicker. Um, so. Six months prior to my, my release, I think the writing was on the wall, and then I did get released. It wasn't thinking I was much of a shock, so I I was late late to the game. I think I started 
when I came back into uh, when I was 21 years old, um, once I was a bit more physically developed, and it was just in a, a far for obviously in a part-time capacity. But as I was when I was younger, I, I didn't really think there was much much chance. I think the lack of pressure maybe helped me. Your first real route into professional football was with Edinburgh City. How did that come about, and what was it like to start playing senior football? Well, at the time, it was it was obviously they were East of Scotland League, um, which was was low in league is now. When I was sixteen or seventeen, and I think I was playing for their under nineteen team when I was sixteen, and then I got I think last of four hours got offered to play for the first team um, at the price of two hundred pound per season, which was brilliant because we paid to play football our life, so we were getting two hundred pounds over the course of the season to to play to play football for Edinburgh City, so it was it was a good experience, but it was a it was a tough running ground in terms of that team was at the time it was night and day from what it is now. The team was full of absolute hard men, some wild wild men, and uh, <laughs> it was difficult as a sixteen year old boy going in that changing room. It was it was pretty pretty old school and pretty savage. In terms of that, how what sort of things happened in the dressing room? Was it just the sort of stereotypical? Guys arguing, getting each other against the wall, and and just just telling each other what they think. Yeah, a wee bit of that, but more just they were just absolutely mad men. I remember my, my debut. We went we did Dalbite in the sort of south. It was in the south there down down near the borders. So it was a Brazilian guy, absolutely crazy. I was playing ahead of him, and he came on after sixty minutes. Within five minutes, the game was abandoned because he uh, he had punched the referee. And <laughs> Like that was my first my first experience. I was like, this is this what this is like. Is this what senior football is like? So that was just crazy. And then there was other guys that were just they they would they were just they were just intimidating as hell. They were just looking to fight all the time, and and you're just like, this is this is absolutely nuts. So it toughened you up quite quickly. In terms of that, did you ever feel that like you had to change your game to adapt to that because of the situation you were in? Um, I wouldn't say I changed my game. I would say that it was a man's game. I was a 16-year-old boy, and I was very much a boy. I was very late to physically develop. So I just I think you realised that you've not got much time, and you're not as you're not as you can't uh, as physical as you maybe were. The the year at your age group, you're you're playing against men who will just swat you aside if you give them a minute. So no, I kept playing. I kept take, I kept playing the way I was playing. I kept having to take the bad tackles, take the hits. But again, I think that toughened me up, and I think it's to be in good stead for when I did eventually uh, make my proper professional debut a few years a few years after that. From Edinburgh City, you go to Stirling University. You're studying there, and you're obviously playing football for their team as well. What was it like? Because it was a successful team you played in. You won the, the university title. Yeah, it was great. I left Edinburgh City. I was actually at Edinburgh City when I in my first year at university and then I managed to sign for Stirling University for a scholarship, which was perfect because it helped me with uh, accommodation costs as well because they would support you with that. But not just that, the training was kind of like full-time. Um, strength and conditioning, so you learnt more about that side of the game, helped me physically develop. But also, university football from a social point of view was great. We'd play on the Wednesday at the university, Leagues on a Saturday in the East of Scotland leagues, and 
uh, Wednesday was great because you'd just socially you'd, you'd go away somewhere down south because we'd play in the in the British leagues and the British cups, and then you'd have a drink with the boys. So that was great from a social point of view. Um, and we were, we did really well. And we played something like seventy games one season. That, that's when we won the the British league and we ended up winning the East of Scotland league um, as well. So. It was a really, a really successful team, a really successful bunch of boys, and a lot of them have actually kicked on and done quite well in the game. You mentioned the fact that you played both in the the East of Scotland League and that you played the university level as well. What was that like in terms of the levels? Was the what was what's university level like? Is it as physical as the East of Scotland League? You mentioned the Edinburgh City boys. Is the university level more technical, or is it just as physical? I think it depends. I think the Scottish universities, we sort of grew that. We were in the Scottish League because we had scholarships so we could afford to get players in from across Britain. So we were head and shoulders above every other Scottish team. So when you're playing against Scottish teams, you know, technically they were actually all right. They were quite good. Um, but it was very, they had one or two very good players and then, one or, then most of the players were just sort of made up the numbers. In terms of the British university teams, it was actually very physical. It was kind of like you look at the sort of lower league English football, how the style of players. They had two big boys up top, two big defenders, just big guys everywhere, physical. In fact, there was a, the guy Matt Smith who ended up playing and he ended up playing in the championship for Leeds and yep. uh, Fulham, and I'm not sure what he's at now, but he was he was there. He was six foot five, just, just huge man. He was at Manchester United and playing against him in sort of hard trick against us, and that was kind of like the type of striker across. That level was just big, physical, and fast. So the technical style, style was probably more seen in Scotland, surprisingly enough, than England. In terms of the East of Scotland League, how it compared, I think they were quicker, maybe um, more physical than East of Scotland, uh, bigger guys in the East of Scotland League, but they weren't as clever and as probably dirty some of the players in the East of Scotland League. So there was a, it was definitely a, a mixture of styles. From your time at Stirling, were you always motivated to to work hard to to get back to well to get into senior football in terms of the league setup? Um, I'm not sure because because I didn't foresee myself as still even at that stage as having the chance to to really go professional. Um, I seen it as a big jump from that league to to the lower leagues. Um, despite despite the fact I was, I was scoring loads of goals, I just there wasn't many role models that came from university football into 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 the professional football game. So I didn't really see it as a viable option. So I was surprised when it, when it actually when it actually did come about. In terms of the move, you you joined for for Athletic. What was that like to work under the legend that is Dick Campbell? Uh, yeah, it was it was unique. I mean, I get I get the call. I've told the story before, but I get the I get the call from him, and he's uh, asked me if I want to sign, and I'm and I'm sort of reluctant because I'm in with Falkirk at the time, and I say, I'll just give me a couple of days, and he's like, well, you've only got two days. I'm not waiting around for you, and then you're so you're already on the back foot, and then two days later you phone him, and they ask after speaking to my dad, I said, listen, I'm going to ask for a wee bit more money because of just county university. Asked for a tiny bit more money, and he was well. How many games you played, son? Zero. How many goals you scored, son? 
Zero said, well, who the fuck are you for to ask money for me? I can't. You're already <laughs> on the back foot straight away. So straight away, that was a sign of things to come with it. Campbell, he just had a way of just putting you in your place. Um, so once a sign for him. Um, he was great. I'd never seen worked with anybody like him. He was definitely learning curves for sometimes I called him his actual first name by mistake. And then we go, who's that? I'm the gaffer that you son. So there's little things he just put you on the, the back foot. But what he is, is he's he's honest. Um, he doesn't overcomplicate things. And he cares about you on a personal level. He'll speak to you on a personal level. And I think that's probably why he's been as successful as as he is in, in lower league football. In terms of him, I spoke to Nicky Lowe recently and he described a team talk one day where it, the players were struggling to understand what he was saying. And he just whipped his false teeth out and said, get the three points, something along those lines, put them back in and left. Is that what? Is that the kind of that team was, talks he would deliver? That's, that's him, right? His team talks were just ridiculous. He, sometimes he, he rambles on, but then he's he's always got an absolute uh, absolute killer of a line. He's, um, I think there was one, he's got he's got his lines that we all we all know. You can play your Dick, your Dick Campbell bingo. He's always got his uh, his, his granddad in the war story where he, where he, where he, we're in a war here. You've got to shove the bennet in. The bennet obviously the bayonet and my my granddad had that many men on his, on the top of his bennet. He had to go slide along, son. <laughs> so he loves that. He loves that one. He loves. He's just got his phrases. He's got to get the bugle out. He says, get the ball, air the tap, get the bugle out, up to the halfway line. So it's just like Dick Campbell bingo, but he's always. He's always quick witted, and he will just. Uh, he usually, he'll usually pick someone, and he'll just, you know, he'll take the piss at them for a wee bit. But in a in a, in a kind hearted way, and each team talk, although it has his, has the common phrases, is is just as entertaining as the last. It's, I I, I certainly miss that. That's it's like an after dinner speeches, um, team talk. So I'm definitely I'm def, I've definitely missed that. It's a, it's a way. In terms of him. He's known as being quite old school. When he loses it, is it quite scary? Oh yeah, well, it's, it's more so. I think more so when he, when I was younger. I think he was before I had some of the self scares. I think he was just uh, he was crazy. He was he would tell you you've got when he tell you when he'd come in. He'd say if you give the ball away, for example, and you, you would see him because he used to sit in the stand. You'd see him. Storming down the the steps to the water dugout, and you just know that you are getting it at half time. And half time, you'd be getting it. You just go through, and you give you you've got five minutes to five minutes shout, and then you'd be you'd be hauled off. And then there was other guys. I think he was a bit softer on me than he maybe on others, but he was. I think a guy got sent off. I think Mikey Dunlop got sent off, and he'd be like that. He'd be going through him at full time, and he'd be going, "Yo, I'd never play for this club again." Da, 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 da. Um, absolutely, I felt really sorry for the boy, and then a week later he's he's playing him again. So I think it was just the anger of 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 the initial thing used to get to him. But he kind of has mellowed about a bit in his in his later years. And when I say mellowed, I don't mean he's he's mellow because we've seen him run on the pitch recently at Air United and uh, get a, get a touchline ban. But in terms of his approach in the change room, he's he's not quite as as scary and as aggressive as he, as he once was. In terms of your senior debut, you score on debut against Dunfermline. How good was that? Did you feel like you'd you'd arrived at that point? 
yeah, it was it was great that um, to score on my debut. Um, yeah, it was great to score on my debut because I, I I think you have that that initial fear that you're not going to be good enough. It's another step up. It's another level. Um, and I've just I was I never been nervous as hell. I think I think we might have scored first. No, I think we might have scored first. But anyway, the our first goal was scored by Omar Kader. I remember it well because I crossed it in. I think getting that assist helped helped sort of build my confidence. And I remember the second half just bursting through and being in one on one with Paul Gallagher at the time and lifting it over him into the net. And it was it was a huge huge moment. And the fact I got man of the match from the, the match sponsors that day as well it made you feel yeah you belong here. This is this is this is your level. So. If it wasn't for such a good start, I might I may have struggled to find my feet. But because of that, I think my confidence was was at a high level, and I started to started to believe that yeah, yeah, I can I can compete here. A very good first season in senior football. Interest from from quite a few clubs it, it, it comes in for you. How did you handle that situation? Um, I don't know. I think I became. I think I got a bit ahead of myself at times. I think because there was chat in the papers, there wasn't a chat via I'd been in contact with anybody, but there was chat in the papers that this team were after me, this team were after me, and I knew that. Well, I don't know if they spoke to the club or, or if they, they certainly hadn't been spoken to me. So it was a weird one in that regard. I was like, these teams must be in for me. Are the club rejecting bids because I'm not hearing anything? And I think at times I think I got a bit ahead of myself. Um, which led to me probably at the team a few a few games. Um, I think to teach me a lesson. I think probably Gaffer did that. But once once I got back in again, I was I managed to sort of put that distraction to the side. But when you hear it's full time teams after you, you've never been full time in your life. It's, it's it's certainly something that's dangling in your mind. And I think Livingston they told me they were coming to watch me in one game and. And I knew the game they were at, so it's in my mind before the game, before the kickoff. So it's it adds a different dimension. It adds a different pressure to me at the time. In terms of Livingston, they come and watch you. They're clearly impressed because they make the move for you. Was full time the deciding factor for joining Livingston? Pretty much solely the only decision. That another step up. Um, the fact that. Um, the fact that they were full time didn't mean they were offering full time wages. It was it was financially not a great move, but it was a chance for me to to really have a go at uh, full time football. It was a one year contract, and I was at an age where I could afford to do that. I was twenty two, and I could afford to to make that move into the game for one year anyway to see what happened. So I was just thinking, listen, I've made every every progression I've managed to to to, to do okay in. So I was thinking that. One more progression. If I if I get hit the ground running, I never know what can happen. I might get another move, another move. Um, wasn't quite to be, but um, it was a chance. I felt like I, I I had to take at that time. What was the championship like as a league? Because you'd mentioned the fact that it was a it was a step up as well. Was it was it a step up that you could see from a quality standpoint, a physical standpoint, or both? I think it was just. Uh, in terms of a step up, it was more a consistent level of opponent you were playing each week. I think in League One, there is a, if I'm playing left midfield, there's plenty of good right backs. There's uh, four, four or five probably ones that 
that uh, were really good and then you get four or five you think oh, I've got the better of them today whereas in that league the championship that I played I felt every game was a challenge in terms of the right backs I felt they were all they, they were all able to compete with me um, in terms of that in terms of that regard they were all physically quite good um, I think it was just more of a consistency level I don't think the step in quality was was massive but um I just I just felt that there's just a greater level of consistency um, across all the players in the team rather than three or four standouts in a team and five or six make up the numbers. I felt like the overall quality was just on a more consistent level. You stayed at Livingston for the season. Overall, how do you reflect in that season? Um, not great. I mean, it was one of them where I made quite a lot of appearances, but. I would say 75% of them are from the bench, 80% from the bench. And it's hard to stay on top of match sharpness when that's that's the only game thing you're getting is 15, 20 minutes here and there. Um, I see it as a lot of what might have been... I mean, when I came in, I think I wasn't... I think the manager, Richie Burke, signed me. I don't think I was his signing. I don't think he was that keen on me. But he was forced to play me because of injuries. Scored in my debut. He'd started to like me. I was playing. I was playing well. And then he got sacked. John McGunn came in. I wasn't his type of player. As much as I like him on a personal level, and as much as he got on a personal level, I don't think I was his type of player. So there was lots of what-if moments um, at my time at Livingston. But overall, quite a disappointing time. And I, I didn't really enjoy being full-time. In terms of, I like to keep my mind busy and do other stuff. And I felt like football, you were doing football for a couple of hours a day. And then you had to fill your time up with other stuff and it was too much time to fill um, and I became bored quite easily so I, I, I just uh, it wasn't for me full time football especially at Livingston uh, The opportunity comes up to rejoin Forfa because of your first spell there was it a no brainer to go back? Um, no not necessarily I enjoyed the first spell there but I wasn't sure about going back to play under Dick Campbell we as well, as much as I, I liked him, um, I'm not sure if he was getting the best out of me. Um, but I had Breakin on the phone. I was going to say for Breakin, then Dick Ford and gave me a, a really good deal. And um, I, I went, I went back to Ford for more for the the deal, but also because of the the players that I knew were there that were my friends. So I went back cautious of how the gaffer might be with me. But my second spell, he was he was great with me. And, um, I, had, I had a great time that, that, that second year back In terms of that that second spell it was a successful spell for you you played really good football what was what was that like overall and how was Dick different to, to the first spell? Uh, it was different because I felt the team had improved they, they are so experienced now since I'd left they brought in uh, Rab Douglas um, Obviously, putting the FA Cup final and putting Celtic League wins, and you've got Darren Dodds. Um, we had da- Derek Young, um, all these guys, that were, Stuart Malcolm, who weren't there during my first spell, and were now there now. So there was just such an experienced side, aging perhaps, but really experienced. And then when you have, we had me and Dale Hilson and Omar Kazir with the legs. So what happened was you could just trust them, the experienced players to do their job they were always so solid and they'd give the ball to either me or Dale or Ola or Gavin Swanky and we'd, and we'd create something 
So it was just a perfect balance of sort of experience and legs. Uh, and we were, we were so close to to winning a league in a, in a league which had two full time teams in it. So we were we were agonisingly close to, to going up that year. Um, so it was definitely an improvement in the squad the second time I went back. You mentioned Rab Douglas there, big character. I've met Rab before and he's, he's, he's actually a really funny guy. What was he like in and around the club? Well, he's, he's, just, he's just got a winning mentality, I think. Nothing but uh, winning is good enough for him. And I felt the wrath of Rab Douglas because I'm a frustrated player as a wide man. And if I gave the ball away, you can hear him from 70 yards away screaming at you to get back in or to just, just screaming anything at you. And he's, he, it, was, it was hard in that regard, but he's, as I say, really principled man and really, um, really good morals and an absolute winner, um, which I think that mentality spread through the team. I think we just got the job done, even when it was we weren't playing well. We seemed to just grind out results because... We just had that winning mentality and that probably started with Rab Douglas and all experienced boys. You mentioned the mix of, of youth and experience and the fact that it was a very successful time at Forfa. When Dick Campbell leaves the club and he, and he joins Arbroath, did he contact you right away to join him? He left, well, he sort of, the second season after going up, we nearly got, uh, I think we got relegated to Forfa, but he had been sacked in October time and he, as soon as he pitched up at Avroff, he had contacted, I think, quite a few players, ex-players that he would like to sign. And like I was one of them. He contacted me and I said, "Listen, I've got 18 months left on my deal. Sorry, I can't, I can't, I can't go. But if I can get out my deal, because I want I, to be fair, I wasn't enjoying it at Forf at the time. If I can get out my deal at the end of the season, I'd happily come and sign for you. And I wasn't, um, I wasn't having a great time." Um, at Forfa at the, the time I was in and out of the team I think when Gary Bowen first came in he did play me and then he realised I think he had to because nobody else could get goals at the time so he played me and I started playing and doing alright but I thought that was a mistake of playing and he let me go at the end of the season and that wasn't the case uh, he wanted to keep me so I had to be loyal to Forfa in that regard I got a year left in our contract and they treated me well um, off the pitch since the moment I stepped foot there, so I felt like I had to be loyal, despite um, Dick wanting to sign me at Arbroath at the time. You eventually do make the move to Arbroath, and, and and Dick obviously puts together a, a very good team there. How would how would you describe your spell at Arbroath? How would the spell? How would I describe my spell at Arbroath? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was superb again. I think the Angus clubs are great. I think. I think for Fernando Arbroath the way they treat their players is just superb and when I think there I went I went there knowing that they're going to have a good go at going up we had, we had top quality players even when we got promoted from League 2 to, to League 1 I think their ambition was to go up again and teams other teams wouldn't have taken that seriously but we knew that we, we had a good squad together and we had a chance and the fact that we got the playoffs it surprised people Um showed you that we went in business and then the following year we kind of walked the league we ran away with the league just because we just had quality all over the pitch we had such a solid back four we had Bobby Lynn in the form of his life we had two solid midfielders and then we had myself and Omar who could make up the numbers in wide position 
had Ryan Wallace, who now play with, really good player. Um, just, just good. Michael McKenna, another one up top. Just really good players all over, all over the park. And I think we were underestimated, underestimated a bit. And everything kind of fell into place for us. And it was, it was like, it was just like a great season to be part of because I've never won a league. And the fact that we we won a league was just at the age of 28, 29 was was, was superb for me because I think I was thinking I'm ever going to win a league. I don't know. So to do it at Arbroath in, in such stylish fashion was, uh, was absolutely superb. You mentioned that season and winning the league. And, and what was good for me from the outside looking in is just the determination that Dick Campbell and, and yourselves as a team had. You mentioned the fact you walked the league. You, you were just you, Every single week you would look at the results, Arbroath win, Arbroath win. You mentioned Bobby Lynn, another goal, another goal. And it just seemed to, to be inevitable that you would win the league. And, and you did. And what made me laugh about, in a good way, when, when, when you won the league, is Dick Campbell was on off the ball and Stuart and Tam were saying, oh, aye, you've, you've won the league now, but oh, next season will be tough. And, and he was adamant that, no, no, we, we, will, we will compete and we won't just be there to make up the numbers. Ultimately, are, are you a wee bit disappointed that you didn't play in the Championship? What were the reasons behind you leaving the club? I, I, I sometimes I look back and in hindsight I'm thinking I, 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 I could have stayed I got the contract offer to stay but I think I was just I, was, I just wanted to play regular football all the time I was 20 again approaching 30 and I was it, it, as well as it was a great season I was in and out uh, at uh, and I felt that if I went to the championship that I played even less um, so it was it was purely on that decision but then sometimes you look back and you think Still would have been great just to make up the numbers and play, play under Dick Gamble in the championship because they're, they're doing great and that's not a surprise to me. It's a surprise to many other people, but you see with the, the, the squad of boys, I still think they're underestimated. I think there's players in that team who could easily, easily play at a higher level, um, and I, I think that they're still being underestimated. And sometimes I, I, I would have been great to, sometimes I think it would have been great to have stayed and, and played, but. Ultimately, I made the decision to leave uh, to go to East Fife because I was under the impression that I'd, I would I would play more there, and I was under promises that I would play more at East Fife. And at this age, it's, for me, it's just about getting games, playing games, because that's what that's what I enjoyed it the most. You mentioned the fact that you never you were worried that you might not win a league. What's it like when you do win a league? The celebrations of yourself, your family, just just how proud a moment is that for for you and everyone close to you? Uh, yeah, I think I think extremely extremely proud for the family and myself. I remember it happening. We, we won the league. We clinched the league at Lee Park at Breakin with that that famous hedge, and my my uh, fiance was there. I got on the pitch, and my mum and dad were actually on holiday, so they weren't there. But it was it was just a great a great day. Everybody running on the pitch, and then we were back to to Abrove to Tutty's Nook over the road for the stadium, the pub, um, and there was. Pretty much free drink. It was great, and then up in the boardroom, and then just just uh, how you see how much it means to our both the board members and the people around the club, the supporters, and um, it was just great to be a part of. As we ended up going out the, out in the town that night, and uh, we got a great reception everywhere we went. So despite it being a small club, people people came out in the numbers, especially that night. We went to I think the only nightclub in, in our both the Vitos, uh, and 
my mind's a bit hazy for that night, but it was it was an incredible incredible night. And the day when we actually went to lift the trophy was great. My parents could be there, and we got some photos of it on the pitch. And those those photos uh, are in my mum and dad's house, and those memories will just live with us for until uh, the day I die, probably. So yeah, probably my proudest moment in football. That's amazing. Well done. That's that's just a great story. Thank you for that. And um, what I want to talk to you about is your your blog, your podcast, Lonely Gramblings. When you set it up, there was a word from well, when it was going well, Dick Campbell himself had this to say. You see Denham doing all his blogging now, and I think it's funny. But when the day comes that it's not funny, his feet won't touch the ground. <laughs> what was that like? <laughs> it's a classic, classic Dick Campbell. I think. I wrote that one. I wrote a few blogs, and they've got a, they got a bit of traction, but they hadn't got a huge amount of numbers. And I wrote that one. I think about I think contract negotiations, and I think that that story with Dick and uh, I, I, I'm good friends with his son Ian Campbell, yeah, know, and, and Snapchat he sent me. He was like, you oh, know, that was that was a really funny blog, and he sort of turned round the camera around to Dick, and it was just Dick. He was like, what the fuck are you talking about? You have fun. Uh, and I was just like, oh dear. <laughs> and then he he, te- he he texts he texts me. He was just like saying, don't you worry about that. Uh, they blogs. I'll I'll have I'll have you when we're back to preseason. He just said, uh, he says in all seriousness, I think, I think they're funny. You keep going with them, but you know where that line is. So I think he's he, he I think he, tr- he trusted me. Uh, he trusted me fully, and I think he knows that I I know where the line is and not and not to cross it. Um, so I think. He was just giving me a wee, uh, a wee uh, warning call there with his, with his quotes in the paper. Um, I didn't, didn't, didn't quite come to blows with it at Campbell training, so I, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. Well, my feet, my feet were firmly on the ground. <laughs> in terms of lowly ramblings, the reason I really like it is because it does take you sort of into the dressing room. Look, for me as a fan, it's something I'd always love to do. What's a part-time dressing room like? Uh, Again, it's, it's dog eat dog, um, but they're very, they're still very testosterone fueled, very masculine. Um, lots of boys just ripping into each other, and you have to be strong minded to 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 cope in that environment and be able to, to probably give out as as much as you can take it. But once once you've not earned a reputation per se, but once you've played for a number of years. Yeah, the respect from from boys, and it's 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 a good it's a good good thing to be part of, and you see it especially with this crisis at the moment that's going on. Boys are all looking after each other on the, on the WhatsApp group and looking out for each other. But there's been there's been a few people that have lost their jobs, etc. And it shows you that we've all got each other's back. That we're trying to, we're trying to trying to support each other through this time. So although it can be doggy dog and a lot of bravado, I think. When push comes to shove, the dressing room is it's a, it's a tight close unit, unit and um, um, everybody's there for each other. So I'll, I won't miss the dressing room environment when, when, when I sadly have to hang up the boots in a few years from now. What's the craziest thing or craziest things you've seen in your time in dressing rooms across the country? I've seen a few weird things. I mean, part-time not so much, but with full-time I think we had Jimmy Scott and Kyle Wilkie at Livingston they were just I think they just got bored and did so many weird stuff I think Jimmy was was bad for for just number twos everywhere I think <laughs> he, 
he, he would just yeah or the physio bed he, he just whatever everywhere I think he was just bored a bit it was it was disgusting but at the same time it was entertaining um, that that was him but in terms of part time the the biggest the craziest stuff you would see would just be as I say Dick, Dick Campbell team talks you just don't know what was happening you didn't know what was happening um, throughout it I think every time it, every time you would prepare for a team talk you would just be you'd just be looking forward to it and they would put, they'd put up the opposition team or what they thought they would play and it would just be like the names would be wrong the, the formation would be wrong the uh, their positions would be wrong and they would sometimes have more than 11 players on the pitch so it was just just absolute madness in that in that, in that regard but no I think the part time pressure I think you get is because you're not spending as much time with each other it's probably less chaos than the full time pressure where it's just Time to kill, time to kill all the time. People are just up to up to all sorts in the full time dressing room. In terms of lower league ramblings, where can people listen to the podcast? Where can people access um, your blogs? Well, thanks for letting me plug that. Well, it's it's on. I I post everything on Twitter and Instagram, but it's the platforms that you can. Um, if you want to listen to the podcast first and foremost, we've got our own Twitter page. It's called at LL Ramblin. And you can find the podcast on Apple, on Spotify, on uh, SoundCloud, um, as well as other platforms, I believe. And the blog, I just I just post the blog on my Twitter, so that's at Danny Derham, and I think it's just Lower League Ramblings on WordPress uh, to find that. So, yeah, I've got plenty of time on my hands, so hopefully there will be a few more podcasts via online, and hopefully there will be a few more um blogs because I've got a bit more downtime despite being a teacher uh, which I am busy doing some some certain school stuff there's a bit more time on my hands at the moment so um, watch, watch the space in that regard Brilliant, I'd like to finish with around the quick fire questions, first of all best players you've played with? Best player I've played with Mark Mignolli Good answer, best players against? Best player I've played against oh, that's difficult Again. Best manager of your career so far and why? It has, has, has to be Dick Campbell. I've had him. He's, he's signed me three times just for the loyalty alone, but also his man management, his honesty, uh, and the fact that he just he didn't overcomplicate it. He didn't over, overcomplicate things. Kept instructions simple so boys knew what they were doing, and he, uh, he made you feel uh, made you feel part of a family more than just a football club. So. Definitely Dick Campbell. Your favourite goal of your career so far? Favourite goal? It would have to be oh, overhead kick at, uh, at Hamden, um, the spot where uh, the Dan scored his famous goal. There was just, I think, 400 folk at my game where it was 50,000 at the Dan, but um, I think mine was better. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, in terms of favourite football ground to play at? I like sort of old grounds of Tennyson. Uh, mm. I quite like Somerset Park, but I'll go for Glebe Park because it's got that crazy hedge, and that's just I don't think you'll see anything like that in, in world football. A big massive hedge down one side rather than a stand, so I'll go for Glebe Park. Is is there a ground that's a ground you don't enjoy? And I mean that not to offend a club, but is it like a bogey ground and a ground that you just felt personally you never 
got the best out of yourself at? Because I know, I always think of the story of Alan Smith, the guy on Sky. He always goes on about the fact he never scored at Old Trafford. So when people talk about Old Trafford, he always thinks, I don't have fond memories of that. Yeah, well, I'm trying to think. I think Airdrie Stadium. I just hate it. I just think it's it's like a it's like a morgue. And the fans are on top. Like the fans are just you hear everything they're saying. Not most, not great stuff. I've never had a good game there. I don't like the pitch. I've never scored there. Uh, it would stand out for me as a place where when I see the fixtures and I see Airdrie away, just like oh, I can't. I just I'm not looking forward to this. I think this season I've been beaten there twice and. One stage I was hooked at half time, so it continues to be uh, a bogey ground for myself. What's the funniest thing you've heard a fan shout at you from the stands? The funniest thing, uh, oh, I've heard, I've heard a lot of stuff, mostly not that funny, but I think when I started writing the podcast in the blog, um, when they started just just berating me saying your podcasts are shite, your blogs are shite, <laughs> um, I think that that was the thing that got to me the most that made me have a wee giggle because it crossed the boundary. They weren't even talking about my football performance now; they were talking about my, my podcast. So any anything <laughs> underneath my skin, so I had a wee giggle at that one. Last question, Danny, is if you could play for any manager in world football today, who would it be and why? World football would be Jurgen Klopp. I just think he's like again, he's like. A guy that you just love to play for. He's really personable, um, and he also plays a good style of football, fast, frantic style of football. But uh, yeah, every time I watch him, I find him just just infectious. He seems like a great man, and yeah, for sure it would be Jurgen Klopp. It would have to be. Brilliant. Thank you, Danny. All the best with the teaching. All the best, East Fife, and keep up the great work with Lonely Gramblings. I look forward to the next blog and the next podcast. Brilliant. Uh, th- thanks for having me on. It's been a, it's been a pleasure to, to, to reminisce about my career. Brilliant.